Hi everybody, it's Fiona Rawlinson, a reader and course director for Cardiff University Palliative Medicine courses. I'm also a consultant in palliative medicine and we're trying an experiment today. It's towards the end of April 2020. The coronavirus pandemic is raging around the world and I'm delighted to be with Dr Mark Talbot from Belindra Hospital. He's the clinical lead for palliative medicine. Uh, he's also honorary senior lecturer for Cardiff University and he has been instrumental in developing the Talk CPR website and all the resources that have gone with developing really the CPR discussions. So Mark, thank you for uh, experimenting with this technology. Um, I think, Mark, one of the reasons why it would be useful for us to chat is that we're in the UK now, we're about four weeks, comes to the end really of four or five weeks where the coronavirus has really had significant impact on healthcare delivery and actually because of our social distancing and isolation and shielding really how society works. Mm. The growing concern and discussions around DNA CPR have become more and more in the media mm. and, and I just I wondered if if you'd got any sense of whether the coronavirus pandemic has actually started to shape how DNA CPR discussions are undertaken and are perceived at the moment? It's a good question and if I think about that one then I think you are right that it hasn't had an influence on discussions um, perhaps on the quantity and on the quality of uh, DNA CPR and advanced care planning discussions mm -hmm. Quantity-wise, I, I, I presume that in the run-up to this, when people looked at the data from China and looked at what was coming out of news reports from Italy, for instance, people were saying, oh dear, we really need to think about this and think who's responding to these potential high-intervention extreme treatments and who isn't. Uh, and we need, we need to pr uh, prepare well in advance. So I think the quantity certainly has gone up. Whether the quality has gone up is another query. Um, you know, I'm, I'm someone who is, is really constantly trying to teach and train and, and educate others on the important matter of communication in advanced care planning discussions. And like some others, I'm a little bit frustrated that it's always DNA CPR that gets the headlines and that gets the, the, the big red light is, 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 is always burning. When people think about advanced care planning, they always think about DNA CPR. It's, it's the first thing that comes into, into their minds. When actually it's a much, much broader topic. I mean, in Wales here, we call it advanced and future care planning. And by that, we mean the sort of wider definition of talking to people, um, uh, whether they have mental decisional capacity or not, talking to them, talking to their relatives, talking to their families, their legal proxy or guardians um, or advocates in terms of what would that individual have wished, what were their views on this topic? have have been the speed of this COVID-19 and the speed of the onset of the illness has created a new dynamic and and I've been very very keen that people do not conflate this temporary reduction this this increase in frailty for for some groups which may be irreversible uh, but may also be reversible with the other areas that we often start advanced care planning discussions in like advanced cancer like advanced metastatic cancer or really advanced heart failure or really advanced kidney disease and, and all these long-term conditions that come together 
So that's been my real anxiety and I've been really trying to remind people, look, advanced care planning discussions, absolutely fantastic. We need to offer them. We need to offer them to more people. If people decline, then don't disrespect that. Maybe not everyone is on the same page as you and wants to discuss it. But certainly the offer has to be there and has to be a sincere offer. And maybe during this conversation and a little bit later, I can sort of give some insights into how my discussions and the quality and the content of them may have changed with COVID-19. Because certainly I think that there, there are sort of two elements to it, aren't there? There are the patients who may or may not have COVID-19 Mm -hmm. and, and the, the absolute imperative of, of those discussions um, and those are fairly high speed and are often actually taken outside the palliative care world obviously. Um, there are a number of discussions with people with comorbidity so in my world in the community in Cardiff there are a lot of advanced and future care planning discussions for people who may get the coronavirus but are unlikely to be able to benefit from any of the ITU interventions for example because of these comorbidities and I think that's sometimes where the the challenges lie it's terribly important to to prompt the discussions but I think sometimes the water feels if it's got a bit muddy over the last couple of weeks because it feels and from media reports as if, as if people are kind of seeing this as a need to tick boxes get forms mm -hmm get things in 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 place yes just in case that person yep. with the comorbidities becomes ill and and it's about discussion rather than forms yes mm. but i do understand that there are processes and if you are a paramedic crew pitching up at the front door of a house mm. there's no direction as to what's going to happen to this person that's going to be quite difficult yes, yes. any any th any extra thoughts around that well, yes, I mean, I, we, you know, I have a lead role with advanced and future care planning in, in Wales at this current moment in time. And that also means overseeing the um, Welsh DNA CPR policy. And I, it, it is clear in that policy, and we're going to rewrite the policy for 2020 because it was due a rewrite anyway. But it's clear from that policy that such discussions, DNA CPR discussions, advanced care planning discussions should never be applied as a blanket approach. You know, it always has to be completely individualized. You know, if I hear anyone say, oh, there's a nursing home, everyone in a nursing home should have a DNA CPR form. I say, no, hang on a minute. That is not the right approach. This is an individual offer of a conversation to individuals to elicit their views. And, and never should we sort of look at a certain whole group of people it should always be triggered by clinical decisions, clinical situations that may make you as a clinician worried, oh, this person is really at risk of deteriorating. They're actually at risk of having CPR that is pretty much has 0% of chance of working. Um, may, if it does work, leave them in a horrendous state and um, the survival may be short. And I certainly have had phone calls, I don't know about you, from, from, from relatives years later saying, why did you allow that to happen? You knew how critically mm. ill they were. Could you not have warned us that CPR was a poss possibility, that the paramedics would come and do this and take him away? And could we not have planned for this? 
So for me, there's two sides. So don't ever use it as a blanket approach. Talk to the individual. And if I could give anyone a tip, and I may reiterate this during this talk, is don't go in thinking, oh, I'm going to have to have a conversation about CPR, DNA CPR. No, go in, talk to the individuals and the family and say, look, there's a few things I really want to talk about. You may be feeling a little bit better at the moment. In fact, you, you've had some chemotherapy recently or some treatments recently. You've just been at the hospital. And it may seem strange that I'm talking to you about this right now. It might seem a paradoxical given that you're feeling better. But I want to talk to you about what might happen when you start feeling unwell again, may need to go to hospital. Um, and I want to explore with you what your views are on certain treatments that I know will be you know, offered to you. And you may feel so unwell at that moment in time that you can't make a, a decision. And then your family may have to make that decision. So do you want to go into hospital for intravenous blood? Or do you want to go into hospital if you need um, uh, chemotherapy or urgent radiotherapy? You know, you've said you want to stay at home at all cost, but what if you do fall over and break your wrist, for instance? Would you go and see an orthopedic uh, person, especially if the wrist is hurting a lot? So we do, I, I like to talk through the treatment ladder approach, which is on the talkcpr.wales and talkcpr.com website as, a, as, a, as an approach. And then whilst we're going up the ladder of these, these interventions and these treatments, when we're near the top, that's some of the extreme interventions that you, that can be offered. And, and, and I sometimes say, look, we can stop here if you want to, but there are some treatments that, in my view, are not going to work necessarily and, and are quite extreme. And I wanted to explore your views on that. I'm not going to make them make a decision on whether they want to have CPR or not, because I think that's horrible and cruel. I'm going to say, in my view, it wouldn't work what are your views on this and do you want to talk about it? But I'm building blocks to stop my, to, to, so that the patient can stop me. And mm, so it's like, mm. are you okay to continue talking about this? Is, that, is this all right? Is this, is this all a bit much? Most of them say, please Mark, continue. Please Mark, mm. I, want to, I want to talk about this and it's good my wife is here. We can talk this through. We need to, to talk this through. I think some of us are quite grateful that someone has actually brought up the big elephant in the room. Yeah. But they come back. And they say, yes, please continue. And about one or 2%, they say, no, actually, let's not go there again. Then I say, absolutely fine, we'll stop it here. Might it be okay if I bring it up next time I see you? Or is it a real no-go area? And then I let them decide. You know, So, so those are some of the, the things that, that go through my head then. And do you think, have you noticed in the last few weeks where um, there may have been uh, little bits of concern, sometimes from healthcare professionals, actually sometimes from patients and relatives about going into hospital and in fact is, is the hospital environment during this pandemic as, mm. as it was without or is there more of a risk of catching? Do you find that that has changed how you have these discussions? I mean, to be honest with you, Fiona, I, I've had two outpatient consults in the car park so, and they did not involve DNA CPR discussions, but it was, I mean, never ever would I have advised any of our trainees to do that mm -hmm. a, a few months ago. I mean, it, it, it's insane. I've, I've been outside a car, two meters away from a car, and I've been consulting yes. with a family who are sitting in, the, in, in a car. I mean, it, it certainly has changed things. And, and the, big, the other big change is telephone and video consultations, such yes. as the one that we're having now. And I have had advanced care planning and DNA CPR conversations over the phone and on video as well, which, mm. which, which 
seems strange. Um, luckily enough, or, or, or whatever, the, the, the persons, the people that I was, have been talking to have been very receptive to it. And we've had a really good discussions over the phone. But, you know, I, I, I had to prep for that. I had to prepare well in advance. I've got a sort of five-step, six-step sort of communication tool that I sometimes use, which actually works reasonably well for telephone consults mm. and video consults as well. They're helpful as a, as a prompt on, on what to do. If you're sort of preparing a bad news consultation on the ward somewhere, you get a quiet room, a nice setting, et cetera, et cetera. You have to sort of virtually do that in the video space and the phone space as well. You have to kind of check, hello, who am I talking to? Are you okay? Are you okay to talk right now? Is there someone with you? Lots of information that you have to gather, which if you're face to face with someone and you can see them, you've got the luxury of not needing that information. You do the usual things. You go to the quiet room, you make sure there's a cup of tea and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, well, the, the, the interesting thing is that what we found, the thing mm -hmm. about doing it on video, though, is that you can at least see the person, they can see you. Mm -hmm. I find when I'm in somebody's house, I'm see if I can get a cue here, is that if, because we've now got masks on, yeah. having breaking bad news conversations from behind a mask. And so you become acutely conscious of body language, of what yeah. you can convey with your eyes. Yes. And I, it has made me very conscious of my body language, whether I'm looking relaxed as I'm having these conversations, whether I'm fidgeting because I'm, I'm feeling a little mm -hmm. bit So it's, I think the, the, the element of, of, of having the mask is difficult and it can be sometimes difficult with a mask on um, if people are deaf and they mm -hmm. usually use that cue of lip reading to help with deafness. So, yeah. so it, uh, there's no right or wrong way to do this is there at this moment but there's certainly bizarrely that there, there may be virtue in some situations in actually doing it with a video consultation if people can get the technology in at, at yes. their end i mean another interesting uh, theme here um fiona if i may is that theme is that some uh we're sort of we've we, we we're having a lot of video consultations and and now when you actually call a patient and a family in, uh, the anxiety, because you're calling them in un in such uncertain times and not just relying on a video call or a telephone call, oh, it must be bad news because they're actually calling me in is, is, is very much heightened as well. So that, that's a dynamic I would never have thought of. That's really, that's, that's really interesting. That's really yeah. interesting. And so kind of in a nutshell, as we finish, thinking about the resources that you developed for Talk CPR, mm -hmm. we've talked about the perhaps the heightened need to have the conversations, but it's not just about CPR, it's about a conversation that needs to go at the patient's and the family's pace. Mm -hmm. And we've talked just a little bit around some of the extra dynamics of the COVID crisis. So having conversations in car parks, social distancing, on video link, using masks. Is there anything else that you want to add almost sort of, if you like, as a, as a top tip? I think people are feeling pressured to have the conversation, mm -hmm. just help, partly to help with decision making. But is there anything else that you would add as a top tip for our healthcare practitioners around the world. Yeah, and I, I would because sometimes people feel doctors, nurses, uh, whoever has these conversations feels a little bit pressurized to have these conversations. And maybe mm. someone on the ward says, "Oh, we ought to, we should do this." And 
And then you go in and you go in with the one topic in your mind, DNA, CPR, or CPR, et cetera, et cetera. Don't do it. Just have a conversation with the person. And a lot of my DNA CPR conversations come out of a slightly longer conversation about multiple topics and are just one strand of it in a sense. And we've, we've come to it by talking through lots of different uh, treatments, uh, big and small. And, and I think that's, that's a really, really uh, key, key point here, I think, um, mm. in, in, in terms of how we develop these things. So don't be overly obsessed with it. And another thing really important to remember is that where there is no DNA CPR form in place and no discussion has taken place, and this is often the case in COVID, and where there is no advanced care plan in place because there hasn't been any time and the person hasn't been terribly unwell beforehand, um, you have to, if you arrive in that situation, if you're a paramedic or an out-of-hours GP, not a nice situation to be in, but you still have the right to make a decision, no, this situation, I am not going to give CPR. I have all the clinical information I need. This looks like a dying situation. There's no prospect that CPR will work and the GMC backs you up and a lot the the, um, the frameworks back you up that you do not have to give uh, such a treatment if you think it is not going to work. So that sometimes maybe, well, this is not ideal, relaxes people into thinking, well, we can't, we're never going to get to a place where everyone has a advanced care plan or DNA CPR form. Mm -hmm. We still have to exercise our clinical judgment. So don't forget, clinical judgment is fine, also in an emergency situation. Mark, thank you. I think we better end this uh, this podcast here for the moment, but we might come back for more at another time. Thanks, really. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Fiona.